The scripture reading tonight will be from Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. That's Isaiah 1, 18, 18 through 20. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, I'm very happy to be with you again tonight. Thank you for your uh, presence this evening. We always have such a, a very fine attendance and such a fine audience. You always listen very attentively and carefully, and I'm always very grateful. I'm thankful for these good men who lead us in worship. Uh, Stan, thank you for leading us in these beautiful songs tonight and for the scripture reading, Gail, and for the prayer, Marvin, and the announcements which John has given us. I hope you'll listen to those announcements very carefully. And one announcement that we continue to make over and over again, and he calls for us to pray for it, and I amen that, and that's our gospel meeting, April the 24th through the 27th. And we're looking forward to that, Brother Rick Brumbach being with us. And I think that with that theme, Christianity in a Modern World, It'll be a very serious time of Bible study, and I hope that you'll take advantage of it and encourage others to do the same. You and I have been studying some of my favorite passages out of the book of Isaiah, and we looked at Isaiah chapter 53, which perhaps is my favorite chapter out of that book, and then chapter 9, we looked at that, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, what a great verse that is. But we'd certainly be remiss in our study if we didn't include Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. And I wanted to do that tonight, and I wanted to help us see as much as I can what an extraordinary thing that's being done in verses 18 through 20. You have a broken nation, and they have turned away from the will of God. They've turned away from the word of God. But what does God do for this nation? He extends to them forgiveness. And what a wonderful thing it is. And we might, I might ask ourselves the question, how does he do that in this passage? And you're going to see four things tonight. You're going to see God extending forgiveness by means of an invitation. He's going to do that by means of reasoning. And then in a third way, he's going to do that by offering a promise. And then finally in the passage, verses 18 through 20, he gives them a warning. And as I read that and I think about it, there are three of these, invitation, reason, and promise that God is offering, and then he's giving us a warning at the end that we as Christian people should consider carefully. And even though this passage was given to people of God in the old days, long ago, still it is very applicable and helpful for me as a New Testament Christian, and one that I certainly want to take notice of. Before I look at these four specific points that Isaiah makes in verses 18 through 20, it would do us a lot of good to look at the context of chapter 1 and then work our way up into the passage. And as we do that, the verse will mean a lot more to us. Isaiah in chapter 1 gives a powerful lesson. One of the things he does is he gives us the crux of the matter by verses 2 and 3. 
And then chapter 2, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, I should say, he is saying that the children of Israel have rebelled against him. In fact, this English Standard Version uses the word rebelled. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, chapter 1, verse 2, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Some translations will use the word revolted. Either one is certainly the case and helpful in our understanding of the matter. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel but does not know, my people do not understand. Notice to whom it is given in this regard, the seriousness of the matter, verse 3. But Israel, and who is Israel? My people. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. And that was much of their problem. That's why I call these two verses the crux of the matter. They do not know, they do not understand. They need to know God, they need to understand God. And for that reason, they've wandered away from God. In fact, it was just a few years earlier that God had sent Hosea to the northern nation, the ten northern tribes. And that was the very thing that Hosea was saying to them, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, where Hosea said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Had not always been the case. People simply do not do God's will. Much of the time they do not know God's will. Now the word know means much more than just become acquainted with what God wants you to do. The word know means to fear him, respect him, honor him, praise him, love him, have this close relationship with God that God really desires. The children of Israel had failed in that regard. They were guilty of sin, and that's what sin does. Sin keeps one from coming closer and closer to God. It pulls us further and further away from God. In fact, this was the very reason that they would go through the exile. In Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 13, Therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Isaiah 5 and again, the verse is verse 13. Much of what Isaiah does in chapter 1 is like a courtroom scene. The indictment is now being read against the people of Israel. And you see it given in verse 4. An indictment is a proceeding whereby formal charges are given to the accused, read before the accused. In our system, the accused is expected to offer some kind of answer to the charges. He may answer guilty, he may answer not guilty, he may answer nolo contendere, which simply means I'm not going to answer one way or the other, but when he does, the court views that as a guilty plea. In this instance, God is giving an indictment, formal charges against the people of Israel. Notice four words that define them, four words that describe them in verse 4. Ah, sinful nation. They're described as a nation of people, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. Now, as you notice that verse, verse 4, he not only identifies them, he describes them. What kind of nation are they? They're a sinful nation, verse 4. 
What kind of people are they, laden with iniquity? What kind of offspring are they, an evil-doing evil offspring? And what kind of children are they? They are corrupt, and they deal corruptly. corruptly. Uh, they are a sick people, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah is very specific in his discussion about the problems of the children of Israel. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. The patient is as sick as he can be. And of course, he's speaking metaphorically here about their sin. They are a sinful people, but he doesn't stop there. In verse 7, he says they are a sick land. And verses 7 through 9 describes how desolate they are. He doesn't stop there. He says by verse 10, they have sick worship. Verses 10 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. In other words, quit bringing to me these vain offerings that don't mean anything to you and don't mean anything to me because of the sin that you continue to harbor in your life. And he calls upon them to repent. He says by verse 16, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. And in this brief paragraph, he's admonishing them. You need to repent of the sin and get this sin out of your life. So what we have up to this point is a type of courtroom scene, which sort of reaches its climax by the time we get to our text tonight, beginning in verse 18. And it's like God is the prosecuting attorney, and the children of Israel are the defendants. And we're going to have this courtroom scene whereby God indicts them. He presents the charges before them, and they are required to answer them, and a failure uh, to do so will mean a failure in their lives before men. That's largely what the context is about. Now, the reason I like verses 18 through 20 so much is because it mirrors much of what the book of Isaiah is about. I love to talk about Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. That whole section that you and I studied together is a wonderful discussion about how God's servant will suffer. And he says very specifically he will suffer on our behalf. I love to read and study out of Isaiah chapter 9 where he describes that child that's going to be born and the influence that he's going to have and the importance that he's going to have upon all people everywhere, especially God's people. But I also love to talk about this, where God is talking about sinners who need to come forward and repent of their sins. And that's what he's doing. He's looking at a nation that is broken, a nation who's turned their backs on him, a nation that has revolted and sinned against his divine will. They do not know him, they do not understand him, and they're going to receive the consequences of that. But wonder of wonders, God extends an invitation for them to repent. They've done everything wrong that they can do, but of all the wonderful things, 
God is going to them with his hand outstretched. Be forgiven. I want you to be forgiven. I'm going to make forgiveness possible. Now, our task tonight is to see how he does that. And we begin in our study of Isaiah chapter 1 and 18. And the first thing he does is give them an invitation. Now, we're going to see how that he's going to warn them. But he doesn't do that to begin with. A warning certainly will come. But that's not the first thing that God goes with. What God goes with is a come. Come now. An invitation. He's urging them to come. To put away their sins and turn back to him. Come and take this invitation. He does not wait for them to say, Well, Lord, what we want us to do, Lord, what should we be doing? He does not wait for them to inquire. He goes to them, and he says, Come now. I want you to come to me. And by means of an invitation, he's going to extend his salvation to them. Now, notice in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, a very interesting New Testament passage, I think, that will help us understand this matter as well. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, there Peter tells us, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defying passions and despise authority. He tells us that God is willing to forgive, and God wants to forgive, that he's not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness. But as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. So let's look at that. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gives us his invitation. Just as God was inviting the children of Israel to repent, so Jesus invites all men everywhere to repent. And as I read this passage, I'm sure you'll recognize it, found for us in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's take just a brief moment to understand that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ the righteous, John chapter 14 and verse 6. The first thing that we have here is this offer, and it's offered based on all people. All people must come to God the same way, through Jesus Christ. In fact, the word all is used in the passage. Come to me all. That means Jew, that means Gentile. That God wants everyone to come to him. This is how Isaiah, inspired of God, was extending the invitation of God to ancient Israel. This is how God is extending the invitation to us, that all people come to him. We come to him, it doesn't matter who we are, whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, bond or free, in the spirit of Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27. But we all come to him out of obedient faith. That's the invitation, by being baptized in water for the remission of sins, by repenting of our sins, and confessing our faith. And I'll tell you what, no one's ever turned away 
when they come to the Lord based on the Lord's will. Whenever you come to Christ based on God's will, he receives you. And you receive what you need the very most. Now notice what he says in this passage. Come unto me all, that's everyone, who labors and are heavy laden. Some translations will use the word weary there. Weary and heavy laden. And I like the idea of weary there. Labor is certainly a good translation. But the idea of weary there conveys the idea of inner, inward tiredness, uh, a type of internal exhaustion. Come unto me, all you who are heavy of heart, filled with anxiety, filled with frustration, all who are filled with the trials and the tribulations of life, which could very well be the meaning of heavy laden, because the heavy laden refers to external burdens, whether the trouble be on the inside or whether the trouble be on the outside, Christ is inviting all men, whoever they might be, men and women, boys and girls of accountability, to come unto him and receive rest. And the word rest in the passage conveys the idea of a kind of refreshness being revived, that the troubles can be lifted and that the anxieties can dissipate that one can take his yoke upon him. A word yoke there conveys the idea of teaching. In other words, the Jews were involved in a great deal of teaching. There was the different schools of rabbis at the time. There was Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Akiba. There are a number of different schools that the rabbis had and schools of thought that they promoted. And they exercised great burdens upon the people such burdens that they themselves could not shoulder them. And Jesus is saying, do not take the teaching of Rabbi Akiba. Do not take the teaching of Rabbi Shammai or Rabbi Hillel. Do not go by these schools of human thought. But you take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is the effective thing that will help you. It will help you relieve that which is on the inside. It will help you relieve the burdens of life which you shoulder on the outside. Come unto me. Christ is a calling Christ. And he's calling people to come. God extends his invitation. God extends forgiveness by saying come. And we see that as we look at the life of this great Bible writer, the man Isaiah. Not only does he tell them by means of invitation that God is going to extend forgiveness to them, but he also uses this word reason, and I'd like to study it with you for a moment. Come now, let us reason together. You know, when you become a Christian, you don't have to park your intellect outside and leave it but it's going to take all of the intellectual bearing and ability that you have in order to live the faithful Christian life and to come to know God and know Christ as we should. What he means by the word reason here, he is saying, you and I need to sit down and think this out. We need to think this through. You need to come to understand that obeying me and my word, God's will, God's word, is the best thing for your life. And you and I need to sit down and think this through. You need to study this out. Come now, let us reason together. 
The nation is sick. The worship is sick. The land is sick. You're guilty of sin. I won't accept your worship. Now I want you to come. That's the invitation. But as you come, come for a reason. Come so that you and I can sit down and think this through so that you can realize that the best thing for you is obedience and compliance with the will of God. Now, God is not saying here, let's get together and let's see if we can't make a deal. God is not saying here, you know, I think we can work this out. Somehow or another, we're going to work this out here. Let's, let's see, I can give a little, you can give a little. <laughs> like a preacher on the telephone, I was talking to him about a certain subject. He said, well, I'm willing to give a little on this. And I said, well, I'm not willing to give anything. No more than what the scripture says. If the scripture says it, I'll go with it. But I'm not giving. Now God is not saying, I'm willing to give a little on this. You give a little, I'll give a little. Let's make a deal here. That's the kind of thinking we think about. You remember that show? It's one of my favorite shows. It's called Let's Make a Deal. And basically, I always used to watch that thing. I'd love that deal. Here, this guy's got money, and he's waving money in front of the contestant. Now, you can take the money, or you can take the cur- what's behind curtain number one. And I was always shouting at the TV, take the money, take the money. And sometimes they'd take the money, and behind the curtain was a fabulous better deal. Or now that you took the money, you can have curtain number two or curtain number three. I use it as a simple illustration. God is not doing that. God is saying, you and I need to sit down and reason about this, that the best thing for you is to do my will. Come now, let us reason together. Some people have the idea that God's will is just too hard to understand. Some people have the false notion, I can't come to God and reason because I can't understand what God is saying. One of those songs I remember from a long time ago, I think it was a Beatles song, and I'm sorry, I did like the Beatles. I really want to know you, Lord. I really want to know, but it's so hard. It's so hard, Lord, to know you. I do apologize for listening to them. Everyone knows that the best singer of all was Elvis Presley. Thank you, thank you very much. But at the same time, I did allow for a short period of time to listen to the Beatles, but I've repented of that now. In Colossians chapter 1, he tells us we can understand God's word. In Colossians chapter 1, notice in verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The word of God has been revealed. Some people get the false notion, I just can't understand God's word. It's too hard. It's like that Beatles song. It's too hard to know you, Lord. I'd like to know you, but it's just too hard to know you. I can't understand it. They don't understand God's word. They haven't tried to learn God's will. We can learn. We can know. It says that the word has been revealed to his saints. It says in verse 27, I'm in Colossians 1, 
To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery. God chose to make that known. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What a wonderful passage. And Paul is saying, God has taught us that. God has revealed this matter to us. And we can come to know it. Even in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 35, and I'll quickly turn to that passage, is a Bible passage that talks about the fact that you can come to know the will and the word of God. The verse I have in mind is verse 8. And I don't have the luxury tonight to talk about the context of this chapter, though I always enjoy doing that. In Isaiah 35 and 8, he simply says, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. I like that. He's helping me understand it. Even the simple-minded can understand this. I grant that I do not understand everything about the Word of God. I'd be the first one to admit that. I'd be the first one to admit that you could raise a question I couldn't answer. That I might have to say to you, you know, i got to go back and study that. I never thought about that before. I've got to go back and relook that. But the salient elementary parts of the Word of God. I can know. I can know that. The things that I need to know, I can know. If I simply exercise the effort to study the Word of God. Someone said to me one time, well, you're a preacher. Naturally, you know the Word of God. Well, I wasn't always a preacher. And this preacher continually has to study and study. And I want to tell you a secret. If I can learn it, I know you can learn it. His point in this particular matter is, Let us sit down and reason together. It's not a let's make a deal type of situation, but it's a realization obeying the will of God is the most important thing that I can do for my life. And he's trying to get a wayward, backward, sinful nation to do that. And God's will has not changed. We need to come to know the will of God and come to know in the sense of having a close, intimate relationship with God where we can be like some of the greats of old who walked with God day by day because they thought like God and they talked like him and they wanted to know more like him. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Let us come to him and understand what his will is and let us do it and do it without delay. But God is going to extend forgiveness to these people not only by means of an invitation and by reason. But he also gives them a promise. And this particular passage has a beautiful way of expressing the promise of God. Here he says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they they shall become like wool. Verse 18. That's a very popular passage out of the book of Isaiah. He uses the words crimson and scarlet to convey the enormity of their sin. And the reason he uses the word crimson and scarlet is because of the blood that they have on their own hands. Go back to verse 15. When you spread out your hands, that is in worship to God, 
I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. You see, sin has separated them from God, and God will not listen to them. But notice further, your hands are full of blood. I'm not going to accept your worship. Your sins are enormous. You're guilty of blood. You have blood on your hands. But he's saying, though your sins be as scarlet, though your hands be filled with blood, they can be white as snow. Now the word snow there, or white as snow, conveys the idea of purity and cleanness and forgiveness, that these matters can be expunged from your moral life. Though you were filled with sin, I'm going to make you a promise. The promise is you can be forgiven. Though your sins are as scarlet, they may be as white as snow. Snow means completely forgiven, completely wiped out. An individual can go to an attorney and he can ask that his record be expunged. And through legal work, attorney can go to court and represent the client and ask the judge, we want you, Your Honor, to expunge the record of the client. He's been convicted of a felony, and we'd like to expunge it to a misdemeanor. Uh, if you get a felony record, you've got a bad deal. It's going to follow you all the days of your life. Let me tell you something. Don't get a felony. Don't get a misdemeanor. If you get a felony, it's going to follow you. And you're going to have to put down on that work record, felony conviction. And when an employer looks at that work record and that application, he sees down there felony conviction. And you're obligated to tell the truth on that record, that application. He's going to ditch it. He's not going to hire a felony, a felon. So sometimes, because a person has done so well, because a person has a good job, and they've stayed with that job. They have not been involved in any malfeasance, any, any uh, violation of law. He could go to court and through an attorney ask that the judge expunge the record. And sometimes I've had it happen. Sometimes it won't happen. Depends on the judge. But even there, if he expunges the record from a felony down to a misdemeanor, if an employer wants to, He's still going to find that felony conviction back there in the back. If he looks hard enough, he'll still find it. It'll still dog you. But God is saying, I'll make your crimson sins as white as snow, as if they never were committed. They'll be white as wool, and you will be free from any kind of wrongdoing. Now I can forgive myself. I can commit a wrong thing and in turn I can ask for forgiveness from myself and I can forgive myself. I can forgive you. You commit a wrong toward me and that's something I can ask and I can receive. You can ask and you can receive forgiveness as well. But when I commit a sin against God, I can't forgive that. Only God forgives that. 
I can forgive the sins I commit against myself, and I can forgive myself, and I can forgive you. But I can't forgive the sin that's been committed against God. Only God can forgive that. And it's a promise that God is willing to do that. He is saying to us, I will make your sins as white as snow. But you've got to do it God's way. And if you don't, then there's a warning. How does God extend his forgiveness? He extends it through warning. He is saying that there are divine conditions that must be met. You must obey. He will not force you. He will not coerce you. He will not forgive the reluctant. He will not forgive the doubting heart. He will only forgive those who are willing and with a full heart of repentance and obedience turn from rebellion and toward him. Now this does not mean that the obedient earns his salvation. None of us can do that. There's nothing we can do to earn the salvation. You can't buy it. You can't sell it. You can't earn it. It is a free gift of God. But the only way that you're going to receive that free gift is by complying with the conditions of God. And the door will open, and one can receive forgiveness when one has been obedient to the will of God. The gift is there. The only way that you can receive the gift is by opening up your hands and receiving it. The conditions are there to repent of sin and confess faith and be baptized into Christ. And a warning, a strict warning is given to the individual who simply will not do that. And so he says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. When he makes a reference to the mouth of the Lord has spoken it, you know it's sure. You know it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen just exactly the way God said that it was going to happen. Now, he does the same for us today. When I study Isaiah 18 through 20, it's a beautiful passage of Scripture that helps me understand how I, too, can receive forgiveness. I receive the grace of God by responding to the invitation of God. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Bible is telling us very clearly that I can receive forgiveness of sin by reason, by obeying the gospel and understanding the gospel of Christ. John chapter 6, 45 and 46, we will learn of his ways. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Study out the will and the word of God. And come to know and understand what God will have you to do for obedience and forgiveness. The promise of salvation is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world might be saved through him. What a wonderful promise that God has given. Salvation can and is ours through obedient faith. But a warning is given. If we'll reject the will of God and turn against it, then God in turn is going to reject us on that terrible day of judgment 
One can come to be a child of God by accepting the terms and conditions of salvation. But if you're going to reject that, if you refuse to come and reason with God and think this through and realize that obedience to God is the best thing for your life, then you're going to receive the condemnation of God and the devil's hell will be yours forever and ever. Why not come to him tonight? Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Will you respond to him tonight? Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.